Today on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks, I'm with Philip Robb, CEO of Model Number, an on-demand sustainable furniture brand that's on a mission to make homes healthy for people and the planet. I'm Kevin Perlmutter, Chief Strategist and Founder of Limbic Brand Evolution, a brand strategy and neuromarketing consultancy that taps into emotional insight to strengthen connections between brands and people. The limbic system part of our brain supports emotion, motivation, behavior, and memory. And I'm curious how my guests are creating what I call limbic sparks, which happens when emotional motivation meets brand desire. I love talking with brand leaders who are turning emotional insight into a competitive advantage to drive business growth for the brands that they serve. Philip, thank you so much for joining me today. And let's talk limbic sparks. Let's do it, Kevin. I'm so psyched for our talk today. And you and I have known each other for quite some time. Um, and, and the moves that you've made in your career have always been so interesting to me. So we're going to get into that. But before we do, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Kevin. I feel like uh, business is going in the right direction. Personally, things are, are good. What are the things that motivate you most in your life and career? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting if you look at kind of motivation, right? Is is just as as you evolve, um, and you know, when we get older, I mean, there's certain things that you know, become a little bit more important. Um, and you know, for me, uh, you know, I think I've always kind of tried to balance the that the motivation of the things that kind of get me excited, um, and and also kind of you know, from a both a business perspective as well as from a personal you know, perspective. And I think it's it's kind of important that you can kind of balance those two from a business perspective. It's, I've always found that like, I love to build things, right. Um, it, you know, whether it's building brands, whether it's building teams um, it's been, you know, something that's very fascinating to me. I've always really understood kind of people and, and consumer products and, and how kind of people kind of think and resonate and, and being very kind of observant. So um, it's, I think, challenging myself, challenging my teams in, in the space of, you know, what, what, what can you do? How do you kind of push the boundaries and, and the limits of, um, of categories? And I think, you know, retail um, and consumer products are, are really where I think I've found my kind of home and niche you know, over the years. When you think about the people that are in your life, you mentioned your family, the, I know that you work with a lot of people. Uh, what, what is it about the people you surround yourself that you uh, value most? What are the qualities of those people that are, you know, your closest relationships? Yeah. You know, I think it comes down to me. Um, you know, again, you, you, I think over the years, you learn to kind of weed through and, and understand, you know, like who are the people you want to surround yourself with and, and kind of what's important. And you know, to me, I've always found like authenticity, right? Is you know, somebody who's really kind of, confident in themselves um, and who they are uh, in their beliefs. Um, you know, we may always ag agree on things, you know, but I think, you know, when, when people have strong kind of principles and, and they can articulate themselves in a respectful um, manner, you know, I have a, a great deal of respect, uh, you know, for those individuals. And, you know, I think part of, you know, also going back to the last question of what motivates me, it's that, you know, I, I feel that I have, um, you know, especially as, you know, in roles as founder or, you know, and CEO of a company that, you know, that everyone feels that they're valued, uh, you know, within those organizations. So, you know, authenticity is really important for me. Um, you know, another thing too, is I think candor, 
Uh, I think, you know, it's, you get to a point where, you know, I don't want you to tell me what I think I want to hear. I want you to tell me like, you know, really like what's going on. So if there's something wrong going on, you know, when, with, with you personally or within the organization, you know, I want to hear about it sooner than later. And, and I think sometimes it's, you know, a tough pill to swallow and, and people don't, um, you know, it's not delivering, whether it be good news or bad news, you know, um, you know, sometimes people don't like to hear the bad news, but I think they appreciate when it's done in, in a very um, candid and transparent, you know, manner and people in the, in the long run, I think you respect that more. And, and I think that, that, that transparency goes both ways. And I've tried to really kind of run my organizations uh, you know, that way. What you just touched on is so important and communication within organizations from the top down or bottom up or across whatever it is, um, that, that type of open communication is, is so crucial. And these days, you know, no one wants to be harboring um, feelings that, that are stressful. It's just, it's just important to, to run a business with that kind of dialogue. So I really appreciate that a lot. I want to dig deeper into you and what you're all about and give people a chance to get to know you a little bit. And one of the ways that I like to do that is to ask you to describe yourself using only brands. Can you share three to five brands that paint a picture of what you're all about? Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting uh, as somebody who's spent a lot of having worked for, for very iconic brands in my career and um, being on the, very much on the consumer product side of, of, of things uh, and, and what I've done and, and having worked with a lot of great brands, even my, my roles at Beta. Um, it's interesting because I, I really have started to become very brand agnostic in a lot of ways. And what I mean by that is that um, I'm just not purchasing as many things as I used to. Like, I mean, consumerism, um, you know, I used to be very much, I think, tied to, a, you know, a, having, I've shifted, my, my lifestyle has shifted more from, I think, um, the products and the things that, you know, I, I own that define me to, I think, the experiences that I want, you know, kind of in, in life. And I think a lot of that, and I think it's happened to a lot of people over the course of the last couple of years. But with that said, you know, I would say, and I was, if I think about things, I think the type of brands, because I'm spending a lot more time, um, you know, not going out as much as maybe I used to or traveling as much as I used to, but really, you know, at um, you know, outdoors and, and doing things. And so I've got a lot of respect, you know, through um, a couple of brands. Um, Viore is one that um, it's a direct to consumer kind of brand. And, and I started, uh, you know, started running uh, a lot more. I recently ran a marathon, you know, and, and, uh, you know, it was, you know, and have really been uh, Viore. I really love their, their products uh, and, and uh, you know, very, just very simple, very well made. Um, and, you know, I think not kind of overly designed. Um, that's one brand, um, Aveja, which is a, um, uh, they're a French company, but uh, all very sustainably made um, shoes uh, from kind of recycled rubber. Um, and I think all the stuff is produced in Brazil. And so I uh, you know, really, you know, like both their, the, the simplicity of their design as well as kind of the mission that they have as a, as a company. There's a hotel um, group out of Mexico. Uh, I think it's Grupo Habitat. They're hotels. I, I love the fact of just kind of the way they are. They're very, you know, they're built around, I think, the surroundings of, of where their, their properties are. Um, and just really kind of, you know, they're, they're not, you know, overly, I think, um, designed really, you know, just 
within the environment. Those are the type of brands and which I've really been kind of kind of gravitating to and less than I think some of the more flashy things that maybe I've uh, you know, been kind of associated with in the past. I think those brand examples you gave share such a great description of, of your values and what you find important. So, you know, for years, you've created uh, innovative retail brand experiences. And I'm curious if there's a recent brand experience that you've had with a company um, or a retail environment that really stands out to you. Yeah, you know, I think um, as I, I think about you know, you know, retail experiences, I think for me, it's it kind of comes down to um, a couple of things. One, you know, I, I love and I'm you know having you know I, when I was at Beta, you know, worked on a lot of different projects and you know developing things from a design perspective as well as I think uh, that that it's critical, right? When you walk into a physical space, whether it's retail, whether it's hospitality, right? I mean, you want to feel that um, that that space kind of embodies, you know, again, brands that you appreciate, something that kind of gives you that kind of emotional connection when you walk in. Um, I think that that's critical. And that's what, you know, I think you kind of see with architects and great designers is that they really have the ability to kind of figure that out. And it's not just necessarily sight, but it's smell. Um, I remember when I first walked into the Gramercy Park uh, Hotel um, in New York, uh, years ago when they, when Ian Schrager had reopened it, you know, this, he had a, um, there's a smell called Santal, um, which is now, uh, which was a scent from Le Laveau. Um, and it's very, fairly like more people are aware of it now, but at the time, like nobody ever was aware of this scent. And I had always was like, I was obsessed with it. Right. And they were like, where, what is this scent? Where do you get it? How do you find it? And I found that, you know, that they used to kind of pump this through the hotel, but it was just so, it's such an amazing um, thing. And then, you know, I think as you know, like you know, a lot of the work that you've done around kind of sound, right? So when you walk into places, it's really playing on a lot of those emotions. And then I think the last thing that kind of comes to, to, to bear is the, you know, what you can have an amazing visual sense of things. You can have an amazing, there's could be this amazing aroma, the sound, it just captivates you. And then you have an, a personal experience with somebody who works there that is just terrible and it will kill the whole experience right i mean like literally it's the like to me like that is probably one of the most the pieces that they can make or break an experience because if you remember that because it's those emotional connections we have with one another if somebody provided terrible customer service to you you're going to remember that almost and like forget about like everything else you know that kind of happened um you know and so i think um i think one of those experiences i've had recently uh well it hasn't not not so recent because i just not at, not going out to as many places as I used to, but um, you know, there's a uh, a toy retailer called Camp. Um, you know, I think I think maybe I you know when you and I were talking recently, I think I brought that up. You know, I, I kind of love you know what what Ben and his team are doing there. I think it's because they've they've taken the an industry which you know has very much uh, was always just kind of go to a, a big box retailer, pull something off the shelf, and that was it. And they took this you know and it, it made. I think for kids, uh, this experience really unique, um, and it just it's it just captivates you when you walk into one of their stores, and they have like a hidden door, so it makes it feel special as you kind of walk through, and and just makes you kind of feel like a kid again. Um, and I think those are the kind of experiences that really um, really resonate with me. Yeah, it sounds like those are the kinds of experience that are creating limbic sparks for people when that emotional motivation and brand desire hit right in the center, yeah. and you know, as you said, the 
the sensory experiences, the human connection, the environment all come together in a way where people are instantly um, motivated to want more. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what, you know, if you look at it, I think the, the best brands that have traditionally have done all of those things usually were in the hospitality space, right? I mean, years ago, um, and I don't think it's, you know, if you look at like the, what the Four Seasons did, you know, originally like kind of back in the 80s, I mean, that was something that they, they prided themselves on, right? I mean, the mm-hmm. hotels, the, the design, the experience, I mean, there was like, it was almost scripted out of like their, their staff of like when the things, you know, and how kind of the experience was supposed to go. Um, again, maybe that doesn't play off on the authenticity that I was talking about earlier, but um, you know, I think you see a lot of now more modern kind of, you know, you know, brands do that. And I think there's some, some brands that do that exceptionally well. And I think that's why I always kind of look to, you know, hospitality um, and I've always been very intrigued and inspired by a lot of you know, different hotels, um, the addition hotels. Um, and then uh, the um, Amon, um, mm. ever have an, anyone, if you ever have an opportunity, anyone maybe listening, this has the opportunity to go into any of the Amon, you know, spaces um, they're incredible. I mean, it's, they, they do an exceptional job. Some really great examples. I want to take a turn toward your career throughout your career. You've held various sales and marketing leadership roles. You were at the gap, you were uh, working with the nest part of Google. Um, and when you and I met a long time ago, you were at Nintendo and then you made a twist. You, you turned toward tech oriented re- retail concepts first as president and co-founder of Beta, where you earned a patent on um, retail as a service, as a business model, which is pretty incredible. And now you're at model number. Uh, Can you briefly describe some things about these two most recent roles and what inspired you to go in those directions? Yeah, I mean, um, I think a lot of it was the, the learning that I got from from you know, my early you know, roles in, in kind of more on the corporate side of things. Um, you know, my, my time at Gap, you know, I really um, was my first you know, role out of uh, after kind of business school and, you know, it really cut my teeth in, in marketing. And I worked with so many great marketers. I mean, if you look, I look back and I look at where a lot of the people who I worked with are in the positions that they're in now, um, they've all ascended into you know, strong leadership, you know, positions within in marketing and in, in, in leadership um, in, in many different facets. So, you know, you, you appreciate when you work with very talented people and, and, and that's, you know, extremely exciting. Um, you know, similarly at Nintendo, right. Uh, worked with a very talented group, um, it, you know, and, and worked on an iconic brand. And I think you learned so much, um, within those organizations. And, and maybe at the time you don't necessarily appreciate it when you're there, but then you appreciate it after the fact of like, you know, the experiences that you had that maybe colleagues of yours don't or, or things that you can kind of bestow upon people um, as, you know, as you get older and grow. And so I think the, that set a really strong foundation, but at the same time, you know, for me, what I realized was within those organizations, um, I think there were certain limitations that um, it, they had um, just because you, you, you there's there's large groups of people there's bureaucracy and things of that nature but like you know what, what could you do like when you're kind of unhinged you know in, in more of a startup capacity and, and I got that first experience when I was at Nest um, you know previous to the Google acquisition and from there you know I met um, 
my co-founders and we started beta and uh, you know, it was an opportunity to take something really raw when everyone was looking at, you know, physical was everyone was saying physical retail is dead. You know, we didn't believe that. We just believed that the model and the way that things were um, uh, working had to change. And, you know, I think, you know, partially we were, I think maybe a little bit ahead of our time. Um, uh, but you're starting to see it now. And I mean, you're, you're, you're going to see, I think the transformation of retail, of smaller spaces, more again, engaging interaction. Um, it's, it's not, retail is not a place where you're going to, physical retail is not going to go where you go just to necessarily buy things in, in, you know, stack them high, you know, watch them fly type of mentality. It's more, where you, they're going to be, it's a lot more showrooming, right. Just to be able to kind of go and interact with people a lot more, I think content and, and even kind of, video you know based types of things and so those were all things that you know again i think my early part of my career informed where i wanted to go um, with 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 the next part of it and um you know that's you know kind of let, what i did with beta you know ultimately has led to you know, me being a model number now and, and you know, looking at a new industry like furniture and saying okay what's wrong with it right i mean there's a lot of this industry is fraught with issues. Um, and part of it is that they just didn't embrace technology enough. And, uh, you know, how do you start to look at on-demand manufacturing um, and shortening supply chains and, you know, creating more customization. And, and these are the types of things that I think, you know, consumers want. And, and I think traditional retailers or furniture manufacturers just weren't set up for that. And um, it's one of the things that, you know, I'm working on right now. So as this, new technology that's making its way into retail showrooms and integrating online and offline as all of this is starting to happen. And you've been on the cutting edge of a lot of that for the last few years. What are you noticing is the impact on consumers and their behavior? As, as we know, when technology is put out there and it's new, people start to gravitate toward it and then they suddenly realize they can't live without it. What are some of these, what are some of these behaviors that you're seeing and how is that changing how people anticipate and crave uh, certain types of experiences these days? Yeah, I think, you know, I think people look at the most obvious technology, you know, being like um, phones, right? I mean, being kind of the handheld device um, and access to more information, access to the ability to, you know, shop online, you know, as, um, as bandwidth and becomes faster and, 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 you know, greater capabilities, obviously, you know, the development of, um, of, the, of the handheld has been, you know, huge. Uh, it's, it's also given access to people that maybe didn't have access to, you know, personal computers and has kind of democratized things in, in a lot of ways there. But I think some of the biggest technological advancements that have happened um, are things we just don't necessarily see, right? I mean, if you think about um, things like Shopify um, and the ability for uh, small businesses to be able to all of a sudden spin up a website and have a commerce platform that they maybe never would have had before, that is, that's, you know, much different, I think, for for the ability to access new products. So right now, all of a sudden you can be a small maker, you're making something and tinkering around in your home or in your garage and, and, and have the ability to reach out to you know, consumers. And then if you think about like the ability to go onto a platform um, like TikTok or Instagram uh, or you know, being able to quickly buy you know, 
search terms. And, and those are the kind of things. And there's so many different also other platforms out there that you can now, you know, that, that, that have been kind of created on the back end, you know, within kind of the rec retail technology space. And I think those are the things to me that are probably more advancements than I think the phone in of itself that a lot of people kind of think about because that's what's really created you know, greater access um, and kind of greater speed um, than ever kind of before. And, and that's what I find really compelling. Most people don't really think about all those backend integrations that make the experiences that they're having possible. And clearly it's done so much, as you said, for, for business owners who are just starting up who now have the ability to suddenly be, uh, have a global presence. I, I mean, I was most impressed to be honest with you, like in, you know, this, this, like what, like March, April, 2020, when everything started to shut down and, you know, you saw some of these small businesses like quickly move and, and they couldn't have done that. You know, they don't have IT teams. They don't have kind of large, you know, kind of tech teams that they could rely on. But because there were so many plug and play solutions that were had kind of already been out there that just hadn't necessarily been tapped into, you know, people realized quickly that, okay, all of a sudden, you know, I can turn my, my, my restaurant into a ghost kitchen and, you know, I can just start taking orders and, and fulfilling it there or, and finding different ways that, you know, to kind of, and I think when you're kind of, kind of your back is against the wall, you know, you, you kick into survival mode, but then you start to figure out like what's out there. And I think there's so many great tools now um, that people do recognize that are available, you know, within commerce. And um, it's really good to see that. And then people are evolving on that with content creation. Um, and, and again, you know, it, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? I mean, you know, you know, you, with your background, you know, in kind of brand strategy and things, I mean, you're, if you're call, like it always, it was, everything had to be so perfectly curated and, and feel like the brand had to be perfect. And we now live in this world where I think people are okay with kind of that more raw, content and, and feeling like, you know what, I, I can connect with this. It doesn't have to be, you know, completely polished, you know, because it's, it's more real. And um, it's really, I think, kind of great to see, which I think also helps, you know, brands that, you know, can connect with folks in, in that more authentic way. And how are you um, keeping a pulse on what consumers are looking for or desiring and, and what they're expecting out of retail experiences? Are there certain ways that you go about um, observing consumers and understanding what makes them tick these days? Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. When I was at Nintendo, I had a colleague of mine who used to always joke, and he said, basically, you're paid to go shopping for a living. <laughs> because, you know, what I would do is I, mean, I would spend so much time being, like, out and about, right? I mean, and, you know, I would say up until 2020, I mean, I was doing that. I mean, whether it was, you know, we were working on at Beta, you know, we'd opened... Uh, since now opened two two locations in Tokyo, so I was going over there as we were working on on the project over there in Japan a lot. Um, we'd opened a, a location in Dubai, um, so I was constantly on the road. We were looking at partnerships in Europe, you know, seeing how consumers reacted, uh, seeing different retail experiences, seeing what worked, what didn't, um, and you know, would take the, the that learning back to the team, and that would influence uh, a lot of kind of what we were looking at. Um, from a design perspective, um, you know, what was the, you know, how did you, again, can, how do you infuse that technology? How do you, what's the, what's the interaction and engagement that our, um, our team, what you call beta testers that they had with, with consumers? Um, all of these things, a lot of it was just 
observation, you know, and, and listening and, and um, doing just a lot of research, talking to people, understanding, um, you know, what was working within various businesses. I found that, you know, because that doesn't happen as much anymore, um, still, you know, I'm out there and I'm see what's happening in the market. But I think it's what I've done now is I've had to kind of change that and shift. And it comes down to more conversations. Um, there, you know, uh, you know, I remember, um, and, and I think you actually met her when I was at Nintendo, Cami uh, Dunaway, who was the- mm -hmm. I, I remember her. You know, I remember one time, you know, Cami said that she was always, in, you know, if she could learn something, she was always willing to kind of take a, a, new, a meeting with somebody else. If she felt like she was going to get something or value. And it's something that I always kind of, have taken with me, you know, in that, like, I'm constantly talking to different people. If I feel that there's, that I can get, learn something from talking to somebody, you know, and, and get an experience out of it that maybe I hadn't otherwise, or, you know, find out something new about, you know, certain technology or certain things kind of going on. So for me, I take a lot of meetings, you know, that sometimes lead to absolutely, you know, they don't lead anything from a business perspective, you know, other than just kind of, learning and i think it's a two-way street right you know they learn people will learn about my business i learn about kind of what what's out there or you know figuring out um and in that to me has been probably what i've spent the the bulk of the last year and a half of just um trying to be a sponge and then talk to as many people as possible about you know, kind of what's happening in the market so as you think about all those conversations and where your head is at on on retail and looking forward what are some of your predictions about the future of retail? What are some evolutions that you believe consumers, everyday consumers will experience in the not too distant future? Yeah, I think, look, you know, obviously the big thing that's being talked about these days is, is um, the supply chain challenges that are happening. Um, I think we'll eventually we'll get through them. Um, you know, the, there's a lot of labor issues that are happening. There's a lot of challenges. And, you know, there will be a lot of smart people who come up with a lot of, I think, kind of great ideas on how we can solve some of these problems. And, and um, I think they're bringing to, to bear some of the challenges that, you know, I think, for example, if you look at, you know, some of the labor shortages, it's because, well, frankly, I think the retail industry hasn't treated, you know, retail, they haven't valued, I think, the retail staff enough, right? I mean, and it was always considered a very low paying job. I think that has to change. I think you have to be able to pay people, you know, understand the value. I mean, you have somebody who's on the front lines of your organization, who's not only selling your product, but is a brand ambassador for you, right? You utilize those individuals to understand like, what are the conversations that are happening? Like, you know, it's always important to me at Beta, like talking to the staff, what are they seeing? Giving them opportunities to, to provide feedback to us because they're more in tune with the consumer and have can provide you more research than you'll ever get through any paid research company. I mean, they just will. I mean, it's, it's what you're hearing every day. And so you have to really understand that these are, are individuals who, you know, have a lot of value and they can also create a lot of content for you as well. You know I mean? Give, empower them to be kind of your social advocates um, and to do a lot of things. So I think that you'll see a lot more changing in, in that regard um, where, the the stores become i think more social platforms um be are seen as more research um and kind of like almost in an r&d capacity and figuring out kind of what's happening and, and the pulse of of what's going on um and then i think the other thing on the on the back end is that you i think we will start to see in certain categories 
um, a lot more um, on-demand manufacturing. So, uh, you know, sustainability is, is really big. And I think it's, it's an area where especially younger consumers are um, believe in and, and want to see more of from brands. And so, you know, what, if that means it's kind of, you know, shorter production runs, um, you know, I think people love anything that's kind of in high demand and the kind of level of exclusivity. So, you know, it, you'll, you'll continue to see some of those things, but again, made to order um, where there's certain things maybe we want delivered in two hours. There's other things we've, we've realized that we can wait for. And um, I think you'll start to see that more and more where um, people are, are fine with, you know, if they can get something quality and get something they want, you know, that they are okay with waiting for certain, you know, items. I think more commodities people aren't necessarily, I think you, those are the things where we've kind of been trained uh, for convenience and saying, I want it now, but, you know, things that are kind of less commoditized that, you know, you have no problem of kind of waiting for something. So what do you feel then are the best ways for brands to create limbic sparks? Those moments when emotional motivation meets brand desire? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. I think, um, you know, there's, you have to really look at your business. And I think if you're just a business that is purely, we're making a bunch of widgets and we want to be a kind of just this, just commodity and push things through as quickly as possible, like embrace that and understand that there's a complete need and desire still in a lot of areas for things where it's just a sheer volume game and we need to kind of, you know, and, and things can be fairly generic in nature. But when you have that brand, I think it, it, you have to be able to, to figure out a way to connect with consumers and, and because you, you create that brand advocacy where, um, I, you know, it, it feels like when you, if you're buying that product, whether you're wearing it, whether it's in your home, um, that you just feel this, like I said, this emotional connection because you feel that the brand itself has that level of authenticity that is appeals to you right i mean and that when you do it you feel good about yourself like like you know if you if you if if you're as, as a consumer like me if i'm purchasing less when i do buy those things i want to make sure that the, the things that like I, I stand for um and really you know connect with me um and that's what just i think is is really important is just again i mean it goes back you know you have to know who your customer is right and and i think that that's what it really kind of comes down to know who your customer is go after that consumer with like all of the, you know, the, just the fury and, and, and um, passion you have and, and, and just have your teams very kind of, you know, motivated on that. And then I think what happens is once you've nailed the kind of that, that customer, you start to see this, you know, this halo effect of where others feel like, you know, because I think today, like, again, you also have to look at customers. I, I think we, we can't just say that a customer is a demographic. You can't just say it's a, it's a male or female between this kind of age range. It's more of like a lifestyle. Like how, what are the things, because, you know, there's people that maybe 20 years old, people that maybe 50 years old have very similar lifestyles and believe in the same things and want to purchase the same brands. And, and they're not tied to a number or a gender or what have you. And I think it's really important that we just look more at, at the, at what a brand stands for from a lifestyle perspective um, in, in focusing on, on that customer. And if that passion and authenticity, you know, I think comes out, you're going to, you'll end up winning in the long run. You and I are so aligned on so many of the things that you just said, but I'm curious about one thing. Why do you believe that some brands and brand leaders are still neglecting this power of emotion and emotional insights in their approach to growing their business? 
Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the same reason, like, I, I look, I look at the retail sector and I mean, there's so many dinosaurs that are still out there, right? I mean, the people that have been doing things for the longest time, I think people are just scared sometimes because it's not the, you know, it's not the easiest path of, of making, um, you know, of pivoting sometimes as, as a business and, and embracing kind of those, those, the needed changes. As someone who's been doing this for quite a while and has been making some bold moves, what is it you know now that you wish you knew years ago? Perhaps something that others in your shoes or in, in younger shoes than yours can learn from? I think it's, it's, a, it's a couple of things. One, trust your gut. You know, I think it's, if you feel that, um, you know, there were very often times I would be, try, I would be talked out of decisions because it just, oh, it didn't make sense, you know, from whether that it was from a financial perspective or, you know, the, the risk was too big, but I just knew that like, that was the direction that we should have been kind of going in. I've learned to, to do that as a, as a leader, you know, as much as you can, you know, obviously, you know, that there's certain limitations and, and um, especially within, you know, certain organizations that might be more challenging. Also put your, be comfortable putting yourself in uncomfortable situations, right? I mean, find a way to, it's, I think when you live on a little bit on the edge, um, it's good for you and your teams, right? I mean, I find that like when, when I'm on the edge, it, it keeps me motivated. It keeps me um, really aware um, and even more kind of like heightened you know, senses uh, around everything. And I think if you, you know, you can't live on the edge all of the time because it'll, it'll be highly stressful and, and, and problematic, I think. But when you put yourselves in those positions, I think your teams, you, you get extremely motivated. People come together because you're, you're like, uh, it brings people together, I think. And, 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 and finding those ways to, to put yourself out there on a project, you know, and you start with a project and maybe it gets bigger and it, and it kind of you know, mushrooms a little bit more into something. But I find that um, it's, it's a great place to be for a short period of time. That's fantastic advice. And I think a perfect place to conclude this discussion. Philip, I want to thank you so much for joining me on Let's Talk Limbic Sparks. Yeah, Kevin, it was a, it's good to catch up as always. Thanks for having me. For more, go to limbicsparks.com.